incredibly short if I'm staying up till midnight watching the game. If LSU wins big, I'm going to preach for a long time. And so just know that you're in for it. I'm going to be full of fire, which is probably going to happen, if I'm honest. So, this is the last week where we're in this series talking about, you know, um, thinking big. And this is also going to be the last week that we'll give a portion of what we received to, to go to... Um, to go to the Georgia Barnett offering for churches like us around the state. Um, talk about thinking big. I had a student come in this week. I told Jess about this. This student, uh, he, he's already finished the program. He came in. I was getting ready to leave. He knocked on the door. He walked in. He had, um, he had spent the, the, the previous year in our carpentry program, he had, uh, he had just really struggled. I mean, a challenging student. And, um, and at, at Christmas, at the halfway point, we were gonna, he was going to not return. We usually make recommendations on who should return for the spring semester. Well, he comes. He's super struggled. We're going to let him go. And uh, we always sit down and try to have a conversation with him about, you know, why you're not returning. And these are your growth areas. And usually they're like, forget it. You hate me. I hate you. And, um, and he just said, no, I really want to come back. I'm a senior. I know I haven't done well, but I, I got to get a job. This is my best shot. I'm going to do better. And nobody says that, so that was encouraging. And so I said, all right, well, we'll, we'll bring you back. You'll have to make up a lot of work. So he comes back, and he, um, and he does some, uh, he does terrible, like a, just exactly back to the same old thing. But about the last three months, he, uh, I don't know, some kind of fire gets lit under him. He starts putting in some work. And I'm talking about working super hard, makes up tons of work, uh, does a great job. Gets so confident in his academic ability that he's like, I'm going to go to LSU. You know, I realized with this three months of hard work that I'm super smart. <laughs> so, um, so then we, you know, we, we don't, if they're going to college, we don't, uh, we don't follow up with them and we don't push for jobs for them. And so, um, so he decides that's what he's going to do. Uh, he comes in yesterday and uh, I'd heard that he didn't go to college and uh, didn't know what he was doing. I tried to get in touch with him but couldn't. He comes in and it turns out uh, he graduated in May. And in June, he, um, uh, he, he got a job with uh, a contractor doing some um, uh, installing sheet, roof, uh, sheet metal roofing. And so he's been doing that since May and um, uh, making $19 an hour. I mean, come on. I was like, what's the address? <laughs> but um, making great money. He bought himself a car. He was so proud to come in and say, I did what you said. I didn't get a nice car. <laughs> Because I'm always like, look, you're going to need a car, but don't get something nice. Get something to get you there. You can get the nice one later. So he was proud to show me he didn't get a nice car. And, um, and he was just telling me all about the job and, and what he wants to do. And his future actually sounded realistic, which was encouraging. Talking about uh, some training he's going to go to and how much he's loving the work. And he was so appreciative of, of everything we'd done for him. And he was also, um, he, was, he wanted us to be excited. I could tell everything he was saying. He just wanted us to be so excited. And I was. I mean, I was super excited. And, um, and it, just, it just reminded me that oftentimes I get all these students in the program, and, man, they're just so hard to deal with. And, and sometimes when I sort of, you know, I, I see him and I realize what they can accomplish and how much they can overcome, and how much really that, that people are capable of when they make up their mind to do something. You and I, much the same, when we make up our mind to do something really great, generally we can get there. This is a kid from extreme poverty, no, you know, lived with his grandmother. She's very, very old, didn't have, 
you know, pretty much took care of himself, not much going on at home, and yet here he is, and he's put in four, four months, great work, doing a lot of great things. When we put our mind to do something great, those are the kind of things we're able to accomplish. Um, here's a video of somebody doing something pretty great. Uh, as, as great as this was, this guy continues to do some even greater things. Maybe you saw this before. Here you go, check this out. In honor of the big game today, right? Yeah, this one came to my mind. That's not a tear, right? Something in the light. <laughs> uh, after this, uh, a couple years ago, that's Robbie there. That's right. <laughs> With his back up against the back, that's where Robbie sits. You know, he's in the. Uh, um, the uh, so then uh, a couple years later, skip to that next slide. Um, they put this up. I've been. I went down to see it. You guys seen this down? Yeah. Um, it's it's down there. You can kind of see on the edge over there. Um, but they called this. They put this up. Wrote rebirth on it. The idea is that you know this kick really does symbolize you know sort of the rebirth of the city. You know much in the way that that the city recovered. You know and. Um, there was talk, especially where I was. You know, I was in Hattiesburg, so it was bad there. It wasn't bad like it was here. And there's talk on all the major news outlets about the city and how much of the city may not be rebuilt, and it may be an incredibly different place after the storm because, you know, there's, there's you know, billions in damage, and can we really do all that? And can we even protect it if we build it all back? And so you're thinking that this city is going to be a shell of itself. And then you get all the talk about the saints leaving and maybe they're going to move to a new city, you know, and you got all that stuff going on. And it really felt like, you know, the saints returning to the dome that season and then the sellout season. I I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that was the first sellout season that we ever had. Isn't that right? I think that's right. And then they've sold out every season since then. Um, That was the first sellout season ever. And it was just like a proclamation that from everybody here – Buying tickets and going to games, you know, it was like, we're going to live here and we're going to be here. And, and is it a big task? Yes, it's huge, but, but we're okay to think big. And, um, and every time I watch that, I am not much for, 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 you know, lots of emotion. But I really do. You know, some of that sort of comes back to me when you see him blocked upon. You think about even outside of football and being a football fan. Um, it's pretty incredible. And um, as, I, as I think about rebirth, and it looks like um, you're going to have to hold that thought because I, I, oh, there it is, okay. I thought I skipped a page here. Um, 
Matthew chapter 9, ancient Jerusalem, there's a, there's a, a city, and the Jews in this city absolutely in need of rebirth. Uh, it wasn't a natural disaster. It was a different kind of disaster. It would be like this. Imagine if somehow the, you know, the falcons in the city of Atlanta were an army, and what they did is they came in and they took over all the most sacred things and all the things that were really important to you in the city, and they took over all that stuff. And, and now you grew up here. This is your city and your place, um, but you can't freely travel. You can't govern yourself. Um, you, can't, uh, you can't just start a business or go get a great job. You can't do any of that unless you buy into their system. Maybe you've got to become a Falcons fan. You know? but, but you really got to, you know, everything that you have not enjoyed your whole life, everything that you stood against, you've got to buy into most of that in order to be a part of the city that you've already been a part of, that you grew up in, that has been yours, and, and you've got to pledge allegiance to somebody else. And that's where they are, and, and, and the Romans that, that are you know, in control, they're so powerful and they're so strong, and there's so many of them in the city that, that, that these, the Jewish people, they've pretty much given up on the idea that they can revolt and that they can overcome. So instead, they're just waiting for a Savior. And so they, they have hope, but they're just waiting on the hope to come. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, um, you begin to see Jesus right when he begins to come on the scene. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Catch that last verse again, right? Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. You know what Jesus does that is so incredibly counter to everything that I would do? Is he looks at a whole bunch of people with a lot of need. And he sees all these people with need. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, you guys who have capable hands and capable feet and are, and are fully capable of meeting some of these needs. You see people with need and you are people who can meet need. And here's what I want you to do with those, those hands and feet that are incredibly capable. I want you to, to cup those hands and, and, and bow those knees and I want you to begin to pray. And I feel like my way is, is such like, if I see somebody that has a need that I know how to meet, I'm like, okay, immediately, let's jump in. This is what I can do. I got this Saturday on the calendar. You know, I live and die by the calendar. This Saturday's free, so I can get over there during this time. We'll, we'll make that happen then. And I'm just going to get going solving a whole lot of problems, like in as much as I can in whatever way that I can. And Jesus does not that at all. He says, this is how we're going to solve the problem. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to stop, and we're going to pray. And I, I get the idea of it, but it's like the people are right in front of them. And the people absolutely need the help. And as you dig through, I think there are a couple reasons why, why Jesus begins this way. Here's the first one. You got these disciples. And they have literally given up everything to follow Jesus. Literally, they dropped their jobs, they dropped their livelihoods. I mean, if you ever read that part where it says they followed Jesus, it literally says they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. I mean, they, they, they've given up everything to do this. If these are people that are sold out to the cause, right, these are the ones. 
And yet Jesus knew that these guys needed to pray for compassion. They didn't have near enough to do what needed to be done. And so the first reason that they've got to pray is because they need some compassion. And why do they need compassion? Because let me give you a news alert that maybe you're not aware of. Because some people are awful. Like people, some people are just awful. And they'll take advantage of you and, and, and they'll be mean to you for no reason. You know, I had a, I had a, a student come in. He was doing so terrible. And, and I said, you know, what are you going to do? You know, you know, how are you going to get a job? And how are you going to survive? And he said, um, he, he said this, one is, this is why we all need compassion, unless your response is different than mine. He said, um, he said as long as you go to work, I don't need to. And that, that one stings, you know, because that's what you feel like everybody's thinking. And man, he knew that we were going to need some compassion. And it's not that that's a good idea, and it's not that that's an idea that we should sort of nurture and be okay with that sort of system, but it's not a person that we should write off. You and I need some compassion. There's extreme poverty in the Middle East. I had a friend who, who went over, and she was doing this thing where they were... Um, they were, they were uh, feeding people and serving people and that kind of thing. And she goes over and she's thinking, these people are so hungry, they're going to be so incredibly grateful, you know, for all these things that we're giving them. And they do take the food because they're really, really hungry. Um, but even as they're taking the food from you, they hate you. <laughs> they hate not all these people, but so many of them, they hate Americans. And they hate the whole idea, and they've been told their whole life how terrible we are. And so they're taking the food, but they hate Americans. And this country has rich natural resources, um, but corruption has led to incredible poverty. And you go over and you think, I'm going to serve these people. They're hungry. They're going to appreciate it. And they do appreciate the food, and they still can't stand you. And the more you get in, the more you meet people that need your compassion, the less, the harder it is to have the compassion. I teach students who, who need a job. We've got the training, and they say things like that to me. You know, and, and you think you're, you you're going to really accomplish something great, and they make it so hard for you to continue to do the hard thing. And you want to say, forget it. If you really need the help, you'll come ask for it. If you really need the help, here's where it is. You want to do all that stuff. And that's why Jesus says, here's where we got to start. we got to start with praying for compassion. we got to start with praying for ourselves to have some compassion because long-term compassion for people is incredibly hard. Jesus looks at a group of people. Mind you, he knows the future, right? A bunch of people that are going to crucify him. This is going to happen, and he knows it. And, and Jesus looks at this crowd, and yet he sees them. It says he looks at them. People are going to deny him. People are going to throw stones at him. People are going to put a, a, a crown of thorns on his head, right? These, many of these people are going to be terrible to him. And he looks at them, and it says he looks at them, and he has compassion. And he says these are people that are like sheep without a shepherd. And they're not poor, and they're not starving, but they're spiritually needing. And, and Jesus looks at these people, and he knows they're going to reject him but he knows exactly what they need. And he knows exactly what they're looking for. And they're looking for a Savior. And he knows that the Savior that they need is him. And he knows that they need a deep purpose. And he knows all the things that they need. And he knows that he's it. And he knows that they're going to reject it. And yet still he has this compassion. 54% of people, this is Jefferson Parish, 2016. 
54% of people in Jefferson Parish claim affiliation with some sort of church. And so you know how that is. Some people go twice a year. They claim the affiliation. Some people go all the time. They claim the affiliation. You know, statistics, they don't, they don't differentiate. Of those 54%, uh, the 36% are Catholic, and then about 13% are, are what, what I would call us evangelical Protestant. So it's just a label they put us in. Um, but so, so even if we assume that in Jefferson Parish, that all 54% of those people are actually actively involved in the life of the church. And come on, you've been to church. I mean, that's not really the case. They're not, they're not all, you know, people who are really seeking the Lord and that kind of thing. But even if we give them that and say 54% of the people are that, then that means that we've got about 200,000 people in Jefferson Parish alone that would say, I got nothing to do with church. I want nothing to do with church. I got nothing to do with Jesus. I want nothing to do with Jesus. I mean, that's pretty crazy. 200,000 people in a parish that has a little bit over 400,000. And the question is, how often does your heart break with compassion for those people? And if I'm honest, not as often as it should. How often does your heart break with compassion for those 200,000 people? And a pastor, I read a story he was talking about this week. He had a missionary friend who was in Paris in the, in the 70s, and uh, the missionary's kid um, had boiling water spilt all over their body. And so he went to visit the missionary and, and see how they were doing. And what they did during that time is the girl, un, until the, this, their skin grew back, she had to sit in a room, a sterile room, by herself with no clothes on because nothing could touch these open wounds. And so he went to visit them, and he had to see this mom, you know, on the outside of the window, constantly in tears, seeing her daughter in here. And she's putting pictures up to the window, showing her pictures of what, you know, I, I don't know, just, you know, all the things that are going on, on the outside. And she's showing her the pictures, and she's, and she's, you know, if that alone isn't bad, then, you know, seeing her daughter being in this kind of pain and then the separation from her. And he just talks about being moved to compassion for this mom. And then he says, and then I had to ask myself, do I feel this kind of compassion to, towards my unbelieving neighbors and towards my unbelieving colleagues and my unbelieving classmates and all the people that I know that need Jesus? Is this, this is the kind of, this is the depth of compassion that Jesus feels for these people all the time. And am I anywhere near that? And that's our need. Our need is to feel compassion because of their need for Jesus. And so for me, much of, I think this prayer, when I first read it, I'm like, that doesn't make sense. And then I come back to it, I'm like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Because if I'm being honest, and if we're all being honest, I think that, that we've got to admit that compassion doesn't always come real natural to us. And maybe an immediate feeling of, oh, someone needs something, but man, continued burning compassion is incredibly hard. And I would say it's impossible. But it's a work of grace in our hearts that only comes through prayer. And that's the kind of thing that changes and bends our hearts towards this kind of compassion. And that's why Jesus says, no, we can't start with meeting the need. You're going to get overwhelmed. These people aren't going to be appreciative. It's not going to be good. They're going to crucify me one day. And you're going to be like, forget it, forget them. So we've got to start in a totally different place. And we've got to start by praying for compassion for ourselves. I moved to this city four and a half years after Katrina. Um, it was uh, three and a half years after the blocked punt. Um, before we uh, came here, 
Jess and I visited three other seminaries that we thought we may go to. We went to Memphis. There's a little seminary in Memphis. And, um, and I wasn't even sure if that was what I was going to do. I was working in construction. I had a, a great job with a development company. And, um, and, and, I, and I'm like, am I going to go to seminary or am I going to you know, move and work in development? And um, so I went to visit a seminary in Memphis. It's actually in a little part of the town called Cordova, right outside of Germantown. I don't know if you've ever been to Memphis much, but it's a really pretty part of the city. It's where the zoo is, just past there. And um, like mega mansions everywhere. I probably couldn't have afforded to live in that area. But it was really, really pretty. So we went there. And um, the next place we went was, um, was Louisville. Oh, by the way, we went to Memphis. And the only thing against it, when you went to class every day, you had to wear a suit and tie. So that pretty much was like, I don't know if I can do that. Uh, but uh, the next place we went was Louisville. And uh, if you've ever been to Louisville, Louisville has the most parks per capita of any city in the United States. So um, it's pretty. It's really pretty, especially in the downtown part of Louisville. So uh, we went to Louisville. Tammy's not a fan, I can tell. You see that face right there. But, um, but uh, the part, we were a little bit north of the city, so it's kind of like the suburbs part. And it was really nice. What was really nice was the campus. We went. They had a place we got to stay for free. It was on the, on the seminary campus. And uh, the hotel, it was like a five-star hotel. I mean, I'd never stayed anywhere that nice. And I was like, man, this place is gorgeous. Then we went to Dallas. And, um, and the, the seminary in Dallas, it's in an okay part of town. But it's a huge seminary. Jess had a job offer there right on campus. And we're going to live right there. I mean, it was, it was a really sweet deal. So we, we've had great experiences. We come here. I may have told you this before. We come here, and I had grown up coming to New Orleans. So I already knew that I loved the city. So I was kind of coming saying, now, Adam, you already know that you like it here, so you have to think objectively, you know. So uh, we pull off the interstate in Gentilly, and we let the windows down. And, and like I've said before, sometimes there's that little bit of like gutter stink, you know. And, and we had just went to all these beautiful places. And then I let the windows down and I'm like, what is that smell? And um, so that was like, you know, welcome to the city. And then um, we went and stayed at the seminary. And uh, we got into our room. Our room was, was nice enough. And uh, I look out the, I let the windows up and look out the window. And if you've ever seen the seminary down in Gentilly, on the backside, there's a 10-foot-tall fence with barbed wire on the top. <laughs> and so I look out, and I'm like, you know, we just went where we're looking out over the quad, you know, and it's gorgeous grass. And so there's that. And I'm like, well, God, you're doing a good job of, of, of making me be objective. And, um, and so then we wake up the next day, and right across the street from where the you know, where we're staying is, you know, this is before the nice Walmart was in Gentilly. This is after Katrina. You remember when it's like the abandoned strip and, um, and graffitied everywhere. And, and I had been to the city a lot, but, but now it looked different. For one, I hadn't been to Gentilly. Um, but, uh, but it just, and I was like, this just, com- compared to where we've been, God, I don't know that I want to be here. So we, um, we went, and we, um, now we didn't know we were going to move to River Ridge and be, you know, snotty suburbanites. But, um, but, we, uh, but we, we went, and, and, and immediately, and we were just so incredibly prayerful through these, these four months we're visiting these places. God, show us where you want us to be. Tell us what you want us to do, because that's all that we want to do. That's all that we want. So we're going to visit, but we just want you to make it really clear. And we went, and it was incredibly clear. This is where I want you to be. And, um, and look, I don't have a whole lot of feelings like that. Um, but it was just a piece like we hadn't had anywhere else we'd been. It was anywhere else we'd been. It was like, this is absolutely the place. 
And so I didn't know at the time, I hadn't even been to River Ridge, I, uh, River Ridge Harehan. I wasn't saying yes to that. I was saying yes to Gentilly and, uh, and, and the abandoned strip mall and the barbed wire fence. You know, that's what I thought that, that I'm saying yes to here. And, um, and so we said yes, and it was a no-brainer. And, and, and the whole idea is that it was so incredibly clear that God had bent our heart and our mind toward being here. And we had no idea what that would mean or what we would do. And I had no idea, you know, in six years or seven or eight years, I don't know how long, nine years now, how, that, that I would be doing what I'm doing now. It was, I, would have, I had no idea what we were going to be doing. But it was clear that this is where we were supposed to be. When Jesus, oh, put that on silent. Um, when Jesus had the disciples stop and pray, the thing that he had them pray for most specifically was he said, I want you to pray that workers would be sent out. I want you to pray that workers would be sent out. Mind you, Jesus is looking at a whole bunch of potential workers right in front of him. And he doesn't say, I want you to go. He says, I want you to pray that God would send people out. He says, the workers are needed. The people are ready to hear the gospel. But there are so few people answering the call. I think there are friends and co-workers and neighbors, you can think of a few right now, that, that you have sort of, you haven't given up hope on in terms of them, you know, getting involved in the life of the church, saying yes to Jesus. But you would say, that guy, the one that I'm thinking about, trust me, he's not going to be the one to commit to Jesus. May have, he may be okay with a loose association with the church, but, but for him to be the one that's leaned in and committed to, 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 the, to the church and leaned in and committed to his faith, you're, you're wasting your time with, with that guy. And, and that's, there are a whole lot of people in this ancient Jerusalem, and, and that's what they're saying. And Jesus is saying, yeah, those people that you're thinking about, they're ready. And they're ready for you to serve them. And they're ready for you to, to share the gospel with them. And he says, the fields are ripe for the harvest. And they're ready to say yes. Stop and think for a minute. Who is it in your life that needs to be served by the hands and feet of Jesus? Who is it that needs to hear the good news of the gospel and say yes? And then consider who has been most uniquely positioned to share that with them. That's probably the worker that God has called. And God says, you begin not by going to them. You begin by stopping and praying, God, would you send a worker to them, to them, to them, to them? Recognizing that the worker may be you. I want to, to ask you to do something this week. Just, just one thing as you go throughout this week. Um, each day I want to ask you to pray for two things. I want you to pray, number one, for increased compassion. That you might be somebody who sees the world through the eyes of a loving God. And I promise you it will probably be different than what you think it will be. But pray that you would see the world through the eyes of a loving God. Pray that just, just each week. And, and, and see if it begins to, to, to change your, your level of compassion. Pray that, that, that you might see the, eyes through the, see the world through the eyes of a loving God. And secondly, pray this. So two things. And, and pray for workers. Pray that God would move the hearts of people to, to be in this city and, and, heck, all over the world, but specifically in this city and in this place, sharing the good news of Jesus and serving people. Pray for increased compassion and pray for some workers. And just spend this week doing it because Jesus said, if we're going to make a big difference, if things are really going to change, it's going to start when we begin to pray. I'm going to close with a story. 
Um, about 130 years ago, heck, well, I did that math wrong. <laughs> um, about 160 years ago, about 160 years ago in New York City, it was the 1850s. So you had had some of these, um, you had some of these great um, movements of God throughout the country that were called the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening. You're a little bit past some of those. It's the 1850s, and um, and and you got thousands of business owners. They're 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 all over the country, and banks are, are going bankrupt, um, and so store shops are closing down. The railroad is going bankrupt. That's what's really crashing the country. And in the city, in the city of New York, it's hit the hardest. And so you got about, in a city that's not that big at this time, around this time, New York had, you know, maybe 500,000 people, and they've got about 20% unemployment. And so tons of people are out of work. I mean, just huge numbers of people without work. And, um, and this guy, his name was Jeremiah Lanfer. Jeremiah Lanfer, um, he's a businessman. He loses his job. And, uh, and, and some, some mission group comes to him and says, Hey, will you come to this? Will you move to the city and, um, and begin to share the gospel there and, and begin to um, be a missionary in the city? So, you know, he's lost his job. It seems like a good opportunity to move to the city. Um, the city had once been a place where there was a vibrant church in New York City, but, but so many people had moved out to the suburbs that there was almost, the city was, had, had lots of church buildings, almost no one in the church. He moves there. He's got no idea what to do. He realizes that nobody's in, in church. Nobody cares about the gospel. It's just a zero concern. And so he starts with a, a prayer meeting. He just passes out a flyer. He goes around the city and just hands out this flyer, you know. And you know how it is when somebody comes around and hands you a flyer. I don't know if it was that different in 1850, but you're probably like throwing it in the garbage because it's weird. Um, but he goes out. He hands out this flyer all over. And among other things, it said this. It said, this is a prayer meeting, and it's intended to give mechanics, merchants, clerks, strangers, and businessmen an opportunity to stop and call upon God amid the perplexities indecent to their respective avocations. It'll continue for an hour, but it's also designed for those who may find it inconvenient to remain more than five or ten minutes. So you can stay for five or ten minutes if you want, and you can stay for the whole hour. Uh, so it's meant for those people as well as the, for those who can spend the whole hour. So he gets there at 12 o'clock. This part reminds me of us. He gets there at 12 o'clock, opens the doors. Uh, it was September 23rd. Five minutes went by. Nobody's there. Um, ten minutes go by. Nobody's there. Fifteen minutes go by. Nobody's there. Twenty minutes. Twenty-five, thirty. Nobody shows up. 12.30, the first person comes. <laughs> um, by the time it gets to 1 o'clock, the meeting goes 12 to 1. By the time you get to 1 o'clock, he's got six people there, and those six people gather and pray. The next week, they have 40 people, and they've already outgrown this little bitty building. So then they decide to move it to every day so they're gonna, they can kind of spread out, the, uh, spread out the, the times that people come. And, and so the next meeting, they move it to every day within six months, there are 10,000 businessmen in the city gathering at lunch for this prayer all over the city. Within two years, there were only about 650,000 people in New York City, but in the surrounding area, there were a few million. Within two years, a million people came to faith in Christ and were out of the church in the greater New York area. And this guy comes and he begins to start. He starts what is absolutely the greatest revival in, in, the city, in the history of the city of New York. And he begins it all. He couldn't preach, didn't speak well, wasn't a good writer. He says all those things about himself. He didn't even try to do those things. All he did was say, let's just gather and pray. And God begins to do some incredible things. And so that's how I want to begin 
to make a difference in the life of this church and the people in this church and this community is just by beginning to